Why don't you get your Bibles out and go ahead and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. It's going to take me just a minute or two to get there. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. But as you're making your way there, if you've brought your Bibles with you, and I will have, I believe, most of the Scriptures on the screen overhead. As I mentioned to you, I want to talk a little bit about time this morning. Time. And years ago, in fact, some of you, I think there are still some of you that have been with me uh, the entire 13 plus years. Now I've been here in the Charleston area, and uh, it's probably been that long since I've taken time in a Sunday morning to talk about this concept. And you may remember some of these things that I'm preparing to share. By and large, I always like to do something new. I don't know why that is. I know some things need to be reviewed, but uh, I, I just want to give the congregation fresh manna if that's uh, possible and I just believe it is so um, that's what I normally like to do but uh, my wife whispered in my ear and how many of you know the Holy Ghost can use your wife amen sometimes I think the Holy Ghost is my wife that's but uh, I mean and I mean that in, hey I mean that endearingly but she whispered in my ear and she said you know we've got we've got some new folks and they're they're facing some seasons in their life that are challenging and they don't quite know how to uh, maybe navigate it or understand it or get perspective in it. And, uh, you know, it might be good to go over and cover a couple of those concepts that you know quite well and we've lived under, but perhaps they've never heard before. And so uh, I took that to be the voice of the Lord. And so uh, we're going to do that this morning. And I've entitled the message, Making the Most of Your Season. Making the Most of Your Season. You know, a lot of the Christian life and walk is about hope. It's about the future. And, uh, and that's great. Believe me, I, I need hope and you need hope. I, I believe that we have a future. And that's incredibly important. But I want you also to know, and I've got to sow this into you before I get to really what I, what I want to talk about, is that there's always a moment that God says now. There's, there's always a moment that God says, this is the time, this is the moment. He's not a God that dangles carrots in front of your face that you're always trying to lay hold of just to get you to move forward. But there's a moment that God says now. In Numbers 11.23, you guys, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now. Everyone say now. Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. Isn't that cool when God says now? Go to the next one in Ezekiel chapter 12. It says, Son of man, what is this proverb that you people have about the land of Israel? You know, whenever we talk about land, really we're talking about people's future and destiny. It says, what's this parable that you all have about your destiny and your future? Which says, the days are prolonged and every vision fails. Kick over, guys. Just follow me along. Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest and they shall no more use it. As a proverb in Israel, but say to them, the days are at hand and the fulfillment of every vision for no more shall there be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord. I speak and the word which I speak will come to pass. It will no more be postponed. Can you say amen for in your days, O rebellious house? I always chuckle when I read that. The reason being is that God's looking at him and he's saying, I know you're a bunch of rebels, but despite the fact that you're in rebellion, I'm going to go ahead and do some things so that, you know, I can do them now. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I will say the word and perform it, says the Lord. And again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, keep going. Son of man, look, the house of Israel is saying the vision that he sees is for many days from now. And he prophesies of times far off. Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be postponed anymore. But the word which I speak will be done, says the Lord God. I just I love Ezekiel chapter 12 because it gives me hope that God has a moment in all of our lives when it's no longer just a promise out there, but it's. Say it again now, now. Now, the last thing I want to share is in the New Testament, Philippians 1, verse 6. It's one of my favorite verses. And it says this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you 
will complete it. What God starts, He finishes. Can I just share this with you? God is not a procrastinator. It's not like, it's not like you know, He's got billions of people that He watches over, and all of a sudden He notices you and goes, Oh, oh myself! You know, you'll get that in just a moment. Oh, myself, I, I, I forgot, I forgot you. Oh, oh, well, I was well intended. I meant to get to you. But I just, it just, you could understand six billion people just kind of slipped my mind. God is not a procrastinator. God just doesn't have good intentions. He follows through. God is totally different than you and me. What he starts he will finish. In fact, one of the things I've often said is that Jesus, who understood this concept, was able to reach the end of his life and he was able to declare it is finished. And this is my heart. I believe that when the time comes and God does everything he wants to do in my life, I'm going to be able to say with Jesus, it is finished. I've run the race. I've completed my course. I've kept the faith. Life's done. I've served the purposes of God in my generation. It's done. Amen. God wants to complete things in your life. Now, <clears throat> that thought helps me a lot because it provides for me some stability concerning my future. It provides a sense of, of, of perspective and patience that God will have my now moment. But let me just share this with you because this is what has always bothered me for, for so long. And until I started to understand God's seasonal concepts... I would always be frustrated with the Lord and I'd be frustrated with life and I'd be frustrated with people. What bothers me the most about God is not that. Is not in any way, shape and form that I think he lacks the power to do what he says he'll do. I, I, I believe he's sovereign and I believe he can he can move into any situation. He can move literally heaven and earth and get things done. I have no problem with all of these concepts that he's got a future for me and all of these things. My biggest problem is that God's just not fast. I'm just being honest with you. It just sure enough seems like he's dragging his feet at times. I had always thought that God would be faster in my life than apparently he seems to be moving at times. Uh, can I tell you why a lot of us think this way? The reason we think this way is we feel like God is wasting precious time. Is that not true? Come on, let's get the show on the road, God. If you'd hurry up, we could accomplish more. If you would let me kind of organize your schedule, Lord, we could be far more efficient. We could get you to be far more effective. I could help you with your time management issues. I mean, all it takes is a little look at people like Moses who God put in a wilderness for 40 years. Everyone say years. Aha! 40 years before he opens up a door and he becomes the deliverer of Israel. David spent decades tending sheep, living in the caves of Adullam, living in obscurity before God finally opens doors and David becomes king over all of Israel. How about Paul? Many people think Paul got knocked off his horse and the next day they voted him apostle. That's not how it worked. He spent somewhere between 12 and 15 years in the house of Ananias before a door was opened to Paul in order to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. I mean, it seems as if you could make a case that God tends to drag his feet when it comes to dealing with his people. But it's interesting that in 2 Peter 3.9, it says this, that God is not slack or slow concerning His promises, as some men count slackness. Now that's interesting because Peter says that God's really not slow, at least, at least as, as men would tend to look at slowness. So, so the question was, what's the deal? I feel like I have a promise. I know that God would like Good things to come to pass in my life. I have a destiny. I, I have a purpose, a future. Why is God taking so long? Why is he wasting so much time? Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what time means in the Bible. You probably have already thought of this, but I want to remind you that 
originally, time was never to be an issue for us as human beings. Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were created to live forever. Is that not correct? They were created to live on and on and on eternally. They were never meant to die. And the reason that was, was because God was eternal. And so they were to have a relationship with the Lord in, through all of eternity. And, and they were never destined to die. And because they were never destined to die, time was never to be an issue for Adam or Eve. Think about that. Second Peter 3.9 says that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day to the Lord. Isn't that wild? Basically, what Peter's simply trying to say is, is that you can't, you can't pin time on God. Don't confuse time with eternity. A lot of people confuse time and eternity. The reason we have a hard time conceiving of eternity is because we try to fit it inside of our own concepts of time. That's why people often say, well, I can't imagine going to heaven and worshiping God for centuries. I can't imagine that. Well, it's because time ain't there, dude. You're thinking you're going to be sitting around burning off hard time like you are in prison. For some people, heaven sounds like prison. Because they say to themselves, I can't imagine. I can't, I, you know, Lord, have mercy. If we stand 20 minutes, it kind of kills me at church. And I mean, and what are we going to do? Be standing for eternity before the Lord? That's not an issue in eternity. Because there's no time. A day is as a thousand years. You see, if you had no death date looming out there, let's say, if, if we all know in this room someday, unless Jesus comes, we're all going to die. So if you have some death date out there somewhere that suddenly went away, you no longer, you no longer were going to die, then would it not be true that time would no longer be an issue for you? Because truth of the matter is, is that the only reason time is a feature to us is because we know we only have so much of it. When you no longer have a, a, a beginning or an ending, at least an ending, I mean, there's, there's no big deal about time. I mean, I mean, what does it matter if it takes till tomorrow to do it when tomorrow's tomorrow, tomorrow? And it just keeps on going that way. There'll always be a tomorrow. I've, I've likened it like this, that time is literally a product of the curse. You see, once Adam and Eve partook of the fruit of the tree... And death came into the equation. Remember, they partook of the tree, the fruit of the tree. Death came into their situation. At that moment, time became critical. Because they had a death day. Now, albeit people back in those days lived hundreds of years. But still, there was a death date out there. And so time is a product of the curse. Isn't that true? Time has become a product of the curse. And now all of us here are born under the curse, and so time is important in our life. We only have so much time to accomplish and do whatever it is we're meant to do. And every time you look at your watch, you're manifesting a curse. Have you ever thought about that? You're one more time reminding yourself that I have only so much time, and I've got to deal with my time uh, preciously, lest I lose it. And that is why when we get in rush hour traffic, road rage. That is why when you go to the grocery store and all the lines are long and they won't open up the new register, you're irritated. That's why when you call anybody up these days on the phone, you've got to go through all the number pushing and you're holding and it irritates you. It's why when you go to the doctor's office and you're there on time for your appointment, but he's 45 minutes behind. The reason all of these things bug us so much is because we know we've got so much time. It's finite and it seems like it's being wasted. Now, let's talk about how the Bible views time. There are two words for time. The first word in the original language is the word chronos. It's where we get our word chronological from. Chronos means measurable time. Anything that has to do with measuring of time, that's chronos. That could be seconds, minutes, hours, days, months, years, decades, centuries. That's chronos. Chronos time. You must understand that chronos is what was birthed from the curse. Right? There was no chronos time before a curse entered in through Adam and Eve because they were meant to live forever. Now, 
you may say, does that mean that, that there was no concept of, of, of time at all? No, not quite. There was a second word in the original language for time. It's really God-type time. I, I say of chronos, chronos is man-type time. Karios is God-type time. Karios means quality time, not quantity. Quality time, not quantity. It really means the right moment. It means the opportune season. Really, karios means when everything is in order, the fullness of opportunity. It's, it's a difficult word to translate with just, just one word. Sometimes uh, translators just use the word season. Season. And so there are seasons in our life. Now listen to me. A season is the right moment, the opportune moment, when everything is in order, the fullness of opportunity. A season is what God brings into your life, if you'll get a hold of this. And it is His, really, His desire, His will, His, His, His purposes beginning to unfold over, over your life. Now, hear me now. God will not move in Kronos. But God moves in Kairos. God doesn't move because you've only got 10 minutes. I've only got 10 minutes here. Come on, I'm praying. Lord, I've got 10 minutes to pray. You've got to move and talk to me in 10 minutes. God doesn't move that way. God moves, listen to me, at the opportune moment. When all is in order. When it's the right positioning. That's how God begins to view Time. Now listen, here's a key thought. I put it on the screen. Write this down. God is not about moving fast in your life. He is about moving at the right moment. The opportune season. Boy, if you can get a hold of that, that will be an anchor and a rock for you all through your life. Now we're here in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you found Ecclesiastes, say I got it. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and let's just read. I'm not going to read the whole 8, 9, 10 verses I, I've, I've placed up here, but I do want to read a few of them. It says in Ecclesiastes 3, 1, to everything. You know what everything means? Everything. To everything there is a season. A time for every purpose under heaven. Are you getting this? There's a time for everything, but it's set under the authority of heaven. God has good things for you, but it's set under the authority of heaven. God has a plan for you, but it's set under the authority of heaven. It says a time for every purpose under the authority of heaven. And then he gives all kinds of examples here. He says a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant. And a time to pluck up what is planted. Give me one more verse, guys. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up. And you get it. You can read it there in your Bible. He goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. All of these seasons that are taking place. Jump to verse 9. It says, what profit... Well, back up to verse 8. It might be verse 8. Let me see what verse 8 says. Okay, verse 9. How do you like that? I like my own Bible guy back there. All right. It says, what profit has the worker from that in which he labors? Keep going. I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its what? Now, I want you just to meditate on that for just a second. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, I tell you what that means. That means if you get something out of time, it's ugly. Are you following me? Because you see, it won't be beautiful unless it's when. See, it doesn't say everything is beautiful when you get it fast. It doesn't say it's beautiful when you get it when you want it. It says everything is beautiful in its time. And he says this, also he's put eternity in their hearts. Interesting. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. Is that not interesting? So what the writer there was telling us was, is that there's a right moment for everything. If there's a right moment for everything, then there could be a wrong moment for something. Are you following me? So there is a right moment for the purposes of God. In fact, God has made that right moment beautiful for you. 
So, so this is what I started to think about. I started to think that if something which would be normally good, if it came to me at the wrong time, a good thing could still be an ugly thing because it was wrong timed. Are you, are you following me? See, I can, I've used this before. For instance, my, my, all my children, and they're getting older, and, and your children, they will go through these same processes, but there will come a moment when they will be allowed the privilege of driving. I, I wanted to hold mine off till they were about 25 or so, but that didn't seem to work. So, so, so there was a moment, though, that, that, that they could drive. Now think about this for just a second, using driving as the illustration. If I were to have a 10-year-old, and suddenly I were to throw the keys to the car to a 10-year-old, what could have been a blessing to me, because one of the great things about having, having comp, you know, competent teenage drivers is, is that it cuts down all the shuttling I have to do with my, my daughter, number, number one. Number two is grocery store runs, amen? You can send them to the grocery store, send them, send them down to the fast food restaurant, pick up some food or something. I mean, it just cut down a lot of my driving. So there was a blessing that came when my children were old enough in order to drive. But, but if they were just, let's say, 10 years old, and I just threw them the keys at 10 years old, and I just said, here, go, go drive. Do you understand that what could have been a blessing at another moment would now be signing their death warrant, potentially, at this moment. Are you following me? It's not that driving a car is evil or that it's wrong, but if, if the keys get thrown to them at the wrong time, it can literally kill them if we're not careful. Now, now, when's it time for them to drive? Well, we all know when it's time for them to drive. It's not just because they turn 16, right? Just because you're 16 doesn't mean you get the keys. No, you probably go through some form of training or driving school. You probably have to show or demonstrate some level of responsibility. You have to take a test. You have to take someone from the state in your car and go take a driving test. And when everything is in order, at the right moment, the opportune season, if you can pry it out of dad's pocket, he'll throw you the keys. And what a blessing and what a beautiful thing that can be. Now, keeping that illustration in mind, can you start to see why God doesn't throw us the keys to our purpose too fast? Because truth of the matter is, is if whatever God's called you to do or purposed you to do or whatever is in his will, which is true and he will do. The problem is, if he threw you the keys too quick, you drive that purpose right into a ditch. And don't say, no, you wouldn't. We've watched too many people, whether they be preachers and celebrities or politicians or mega mogul businessmen who suddenly get their gajillion dollars and then they get a brain cramp. And they drive their lives into ditches. Many do that. Many succeed only to find it killed them. Our lives are out of order. But we want His purpose as quickly as possible. It's not the right time. It's not the right moment. But I want what I want. And I'm just here to tell you, sometimes we can finagle things and, and, and seize it in an unrighteous way. And what happens is we crash. i tell you what many people do. What, what happens is they want to begin to help God. Isn't that a funny phrase? I tell you what, I'll just help God. As if he needs help. Now, we know the story, don't we, of Abraham and Sarah? You understand Abraham and Sarah had a promise. Their promise was that they were to give birth to a promised child. Abraham was to be the father of many nations. It was through this child that all the nations of the world would be blessed. And that his seed would be like the stars in the sky. They would be uncountable. And God had spoke these things, cut a covenant with Abraham, and promised Abraham and Sarah this would happen. But the problem with Abraham and Sarah was that they weren't getting any younger. I mean, they were in their 90s and 100s. And how many of you know that's not prime childbearing years? The body was dead, the Scripture tells us. Dead as a doornail. Sarah was dead as a doornail. So, they decided that uh, they were going to help God. 
Because this seemed to be taken a lot longer than really it should have been taken. Because, Lord, every day that, that, that transpires is just one more day that my body is getting deader and deader and deader and deader and deader. And I'm just here to tell you, if we don't get it going now, there's no chance. Do you, do you understand their whole perspective and how screwed up it is? That's, that they're beginning to see things in the natural say that, God, if you don't do it now, it will slip away from us. We do that all the time with God. We look at our circumstances and we say, oh, God, if you don't move now, what little we might have is slipping away. So we're going to help you. We're going to help you out, God. We realize you probably haven't thought this through. You really haven't considered everything about our life and what's going on. You were well intended. You're probably busy with the other five billion or so people. So we're going to help you. And so what Sarah did was Sarah gave Abram. You want to talk about dysfunctional. I mean, this is absolutely dysfunctional. Sarah gives to her husband, her handmaiden, Hagar. Like, whoa. But they decided that somehow or another this would help God out. And so Hagar, which, of course, was much younger than Sarah, could conceive and she did conceive. And out comes Ishmael. Ishmael, now, listen to everything I'm going to say about Ishmael. Ishmael was the, was the product of two people trying to kind of hurry God along. They wanted to hurry up in the plan of God. They, they, hey, you can say anything you want about their heart being well-intended. Well, they were well-intended. They just wanted to, to manifest the purpose of God. Yeah, and it's cost them for centuries what they did. Ishmael actually, if you trace his lineage back, Ishmael actually is the father of the Arab nations. And can I just share this with you today that that the Jewish nation and the Arab nations have been fussing with each other for over 4000 years. How many of you know that 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 the product of trying to help God out has hurt us for thousands of years, no matter what you think about what needs to happen in the Middle East. Now, now Ishmael comes along. Now, truth of the matter is Ishmael was still the, the product of, of well-intended uh, things, perhaps. And, and Ishmael was an issue that the Jews would have to deal with all through the rest of their history. But it's interesting that if they would have just waited on God, if they would have just waited for the right moment, the right time, when everything was in order, we all know what happened. Sarah, the Bible says, that was dead in her inner parts, in her womb, all of a sudden conceives and out pops Isaac. Isaac, of course, was the promised child. But you see, they decided time was wasting. And that's what we call birthing an Ishmael. A lot of times... I find even in church life and Christian's life, there are a lot of Ishmael things. There are Ishmael ministries. They weren't birthed at the right time or the right moment. It was just a good idea. Let's just kind of help God out. Everybody else is doing it, so let's just help God out. There are Ishmael careers. Ishmael jobs. How many of you know there are folks here today, I won't make you raise your hand, but we've got credit cards loaded with debt on Ishmael ideas. We were helping God out. And the whole reason we got to where we are was because time was a wasting. It seems as if, you know, things are, are going on here and I need to help God. Hey, there are even people, and I got to finish this one, they even got married in an Ishmael situation. They didn't wait on God. There are guys that just had to get married. And so the first thing was the skirt that came by, they just married it. There were women that were feeling like they were getting older and their biological clock was ticking and some guy, he had to shave, so they married it. Ishmael. Now, Ishmael, listen, may not have been plan A, so to speak, but this is what I always remind people about Ishmael. Ishmael still had a plan in God. God still spoke a promise over Ishmael. Ishmael still, still could have done incredible over-the-top things in the plan of God. Now listen, you may have some Ishmael things in your life. Every time I preach this, and, and I've had people come to me through the years and say, well, you know, I think I married the wrong person, and I think it was an Ishmael moment, and maybe I should just divorce them and go, I, stop! It's a covenant, it's still God's plan for your life, and He can redeem it, and there's a promise over it. I mean, there's a moment in everybody's marriage they think it's an Ishmael moment. My Lord, give me grace. 
I mean, we're all thinking, is this right? Is this wrong? I can't believe this is the plan of God. Yeah, it was the plan of God. So understand, God can redeem and restore things even if they're Ishmael's because He wanted to do that for the original one as well. But you see, all of us can recognize the fact that our impatience has cost us some things. God is wanting great things in your life, but He's waiting for the right moment. You've got to understand, He's waiting for everything to be in right order. If God could have sent Jesus the day after Adam and Eve sinned. Have you ever thought about this? Why didn't God just send Jesus the day after they sinned? Why didn't he just say, okay, you sinned, now I'm going to clean it up and send my son on day whatever that was. It was day, day, what, day 9, 10, somewhere in there. I, we don't even know how much time elapsed. Why didn't he just send Jesus the day after they sinned? It's interesting, Galatians 4.4. 4. Guys, do you have that? Pop Galatians 4.4 4 up here real quick. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So hear this. Even God's number one plan. He waited until the right moment, the right time. He waited for the right language to exist in the earth. He waited for the right circumstances. He waited until the right, right nations were empowered. He, he, he waited until everything was in His order, and then He sent His Son. He did not send His Son because He needed to redeem quick. He sent it because He was waiting for everything to be in order. Now listen to me. If God works that way with His number one plan, what do you think He's going to do with our plans? In our purposes. You see, God's not being slow. He's waiting until everything's in place. He's waiting until every opportunity that you need before you is, is there. And, and when it happens, it'll be an amazing, miraculous thing. The fullness of time. Now, the question is, how do we who live under this curse, how do we who live under this break out of this mentality so we're not frustrating everyone around us. We're mad at God. We're mad at our circumstance. We're, 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 just, we're mad at people. We're mad at our boss. We're mad at this person, that person. We're just, we're just mad. How do we break out of this so that we can begin to function and understand how God is wanting to work in our life? You know, many people, my wife mentioned it this morning at prayer time, many people are mad at God. Because they felt like God didn't do something when they thought He should. And, and so they're mad at Him. Many, many people are striving to get something that they're, they're sure is God and they can't understand why it's so hard and why it's taking so long. And, and some are mad at people because you think there are certain people who are standing in your way. Is it not silly to think that a human being can stand in the way of God's purposes for your life? I mean, come on, awaken, awaken. Nobody can stand in the way of God. Some of you are mad because maybe you feel like you missed your moment or you messed up your promise. Can I just can I just say this to you? God, God has a unique ability to redeem, restore and to bring things around in order to create an environment that you can succeed in. But you got to understand he's working with a whole lot of stuff that he's moving and orchestrating and putting together. And you've got to understand that we've got to move under his plan and not yank him down into our plan. Jesus said, I am about what the father's doing. He said, I've come to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus never said, I've come to drag the Father into what I think is a great moment in time. Never said that. So we've got to get that perspective again. How do we do it? Let me give you five quick things here. Five quick things. And we'll be done. I, I guarantee you, though, this will really, really help you. Number one, ask God what season you're in. If you don't understand what's going on, my only question to you is, have you asked? Bible still says you have not because you ask not. Now, I know we use that verse for all sorts of things, but I suggest that maybe you ask God where you're at in his will. Lord, tell me, speak to me about what, what season am I in? Where, where am I in the journey? Help me get some perspective on what you're doing in my life. You know, in Ecclesiastes 3, which I read to you, the Bible tells us there are all kinds of seasons. There are good seasons and there are challenging seasons. Do you see that? Some of us get in a challenging season 
And all of a sudden we're convinced that either God has left us, the devil's fighting us, or somehow or another things have begun to get twisted or convoluted. Listen, I don't believe seasons were ever meant to be a mystery to us. I don't believe they were meant to be hidden. The Ecclesiastes writer tells us these are the seasons that can take place. And if you wonder where you are in the will of God, then just take the time to say, Lord, speak to me, talk to me, help me understand and see what season I am in. We often use this phrase with the men because I think the men manifest this maybe more than the women, although I I, I think probably it's a, a genderless disease. I call it destination disease. Destination disease. People are consumed with where they want to be and they aren't reflective about where they are. We're always looking around the corner. We're always looking down the road. We're always looking over the hill. Let me just give you some examples. There are some of you right now, and I'm just, I'm just going to use practical examples. If you're not, if you're a single person this morning and half, half of our culture is now single. Do you know that? I mean, that's, that's amazing. And so half of our churches very well could be single people. But, but I want to share this with you. You can spend all of your life thinking about why you're not married. You can be consumed with the idea of getting married. And you can be so entangled in all those thoughts that you're not understanding where you are and why you're here at this particular moment. Before God changes seasons, it might be important, and I'm going to talk about this in just a moment, that you get while you're, in, while you're in this season. Some people, you know, they feel like they're called to ministry and they're not in ministry and they're consumed with being in the ministry and they don't understand why the ministry isn't being, uh, uh, you know, unveiled to them. Listen, there's a reason for the season that you're in. It happens to everyone. It happens staff pastors that want to be senior pastors, employees that want to be employers, uh, assistant coaches that want to be head coaches. I mean, we have this destination disease. If I could just get to the next place for years, I'm just telling on myself for years, I lived in about six month increments. I drove my household crazy. You know, I'd been a senior pastor and I, and I stepped out and was a staff pastor for a number of years. And it was during that time that, that you know, when you're used to being a, a senior pastor, it isn't the easiest thing to step back into a subordinate role. But that was important for me to do. But my problem was I lived in these six-month increments. I kept saying to myself, surely by the summer. Surely by the summer, God will move. He'll see my heart and things will change and this will all happen. Surely. And then summer would come and nothing would happen. And you'd go into a little depression or a discouragement and and you'd rise up out of it, you know, because you'd remember the promise of God. And then you'd say, well, surely by Christmas. Christmas, it'll it'll happen by Christmas. I know it'll happen by Christmas. I feel like God spoke to my heart. I know it's going to happen. And I get to Christmas and nothing had happened. Six-month increments drove my household nuts because I refused to understand God's seasonal dealings in my life. Now, obviously, that season changed, and I'm going to share with you how that changed. But the truth of the matter is, you got to quit living these six-month increments and start living in the season you're in and understanding where you're at and beginning to glean all that you can get. You'll never get to, to your purpose until you understand, I believe, where you're at. So number one, ask, where am I at? Maybe this, maybe this is a challenging season. And, and you just got to understand that God's working things in you through those challenges. I got to go to number two. Secondly, and this, this dovetails on it, you got to learn the lessons of the season you're in. Learn the lessons of the season you're in. There are things to be learned in every season of life. In fact, you'll never be all that God meant for you to be until you learn the seasonal lessons that come your way. So if you want to skip this season, that may feel better to your flesh, but it won't prepare you for what it is that God has for you. Anyone that's gone to school, especially if you've gone to college, let's say, or maybe you've gone on to graduate school, you know You know that you take classes that at the time that you're taking the class, I remember this in graduate school, I sat in classes, if I even told you the name of the class, you'd look and just kind of cross your eyes. And I'm sitting there and I have to sit through a semester of this class that is meaningless. Anybody been in a class or you've been somewhere, you're going, why am I here? 
Your boss sends you off for training and you're going, why am I here? I do not get why I'm here. This class seems disconnected with what I'm preparing for. And yet the school won't graduate me unless I take this class. It's a stupid class. It doesn't seem to fit in what I'm looking at, but they make me take it. So it's a part of the required studies. So I'm going to take it. I don't like it. I don't get it. I'm going to forget it. I will endure it. And then suddenly, years later, you're in a moment. I've been this way. I've been in a moment. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it just hit me that what I'm facing... What's that class? OMG! I didn't take notes! I slept! I cut it half the time! And now, I need it! I wish I'd have paid more attention to it when I was in that season. See, most people have that attitude when it comes to spiritual things. For some of you, I'm not saying everyone, but for some of us, and we've experienced this, some of you have been placed in caves like David had been placed in a cave. It's a hard place. It's a difficult place. No, nobody likes being in a cave. I'm not convinced David enjoyed his cave when he has a destiny to be a king. There are some of you here that are in wildernesses. And you're going through wildernesses. And God does send His people through wildernesses. He even sent Jesus. The Bible says that the Spirit drove Him into the wilderness. And here you are, and you're in a cave time or a wilderness time, and, and you're, you're going, what in the world is this for? You need to learn the lessons of the season you're in. Can I just share this with you? You may not be able to shorten God's seasons, but I can assure you, you can sure enough lengthen them. I mean, I believe there's a time for every season, but if you aren't getting the lesson, God has no problem extending the class session. I'd learn the lesson as quickly as possible. Whatever season you're in, learn the lesson. Something's working in you that you're going to need somewhere down the road. Number three, cooperate with the season you're in. Cooperate with the season you're in. Don't resist and strive against the season you may be in. A lot of times seasons last long because you're striving against it. It will change. I'm going to get there. It will change. And remember, God's ordering some things in your life. You know, you've heard my farming stories. You know, a farmer has to plant when it's the season to plant, and he harvests when it's the season to harvest. A farmer can't wake up one morning and simply say, oh, I arbitrarily decide that today is the day that I'm going to plant instead of harvest, or I'm going to harvest instead of plant. He has to cooperate with whatever the season is that comes through his area of the country and, and his geographical reason, uh, region. And if he doesn't cooperate with the season, how many of you know you're going to be a poor farmer? If I'm not planting when I'm supposed to plant, and if I'm not harvesting when I'm supposed to harvest, I'm going to get things turned around and ain't nothing coming into my barns. But if I plant when I'm supposed to plant, and I cultivate when I'm supposed to cultivate, and I harvest when I'm supposed to harvest, then my barns can be full. And all it took was cooperating with the season. Ladies understand this through their pregnancies. I believe God is showing us through these pregnancies that we're having that, that they're seasonal things. Because if you birth a baby too soon, you've got problems. But if you birth a baby too late, you've got problems. Both are traumatic events. But when the body is in order and everything is prepared and you give birth at that moment, I mean, you've got to cooperate with it. Right? I mean, how many ladies in the middle of your labor wanted to go time out? I mean, you're in the middle of labor and you're saying to yourself, if I could just, if I could skip two contractions, I think I could make it if I could just skip two of them. Well, you know, you know that it doesn't work that way. It's the season and you've got to begin to cooperate with your season. You can't, you can't hurry it up. You can't call time out. And sometimes because we don't ask and we don't discern, what we do is, is that we're in the middle of a seasonal happening and we think all we have to do is fight the devil. And you're fighting the season you're in. You say, well, I just don't believe that. Well, did you even ask? 
I, I, are you telling me, Pastor, that the devil doesn't fight us? No, I'm not saying that. Certainly he does. Certainly his, his minions will fight you too. I, I, I get spiritual warfare. I'm just simply saying to our circles who tend to throw every bad thing off on the devil, why don't you stop for just a minute and ask yourself, where am I at in this journey? Am I struggling against a season that God is working through in order to work something in me? I, I don't know, but have you asked? Number four you got to seize the season. In Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 10, can you throw that back up there? It says, what profit? You notice it says pro- profit is, is when, when you receive a recompense or when you receive uh, increased finances is where we usually put the word profit at. But what profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. Now, when you're in your season, you have to understand that there's only profit in a season when you begin to work the labor of the season and when you begin to seize what it is that God's trying to do in your life. In Ephesians 5.16, we find the word karios coming up again, and it's usually translated like this. It says, redeem the time because the days are evil, but there are other versions which will say this, make the most of every opportunity. Some of you that have a new international version, I believe that's probably what it says there. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And the reason there's such variation in translation is because of the word karios. Karios, it means that whatever season you're in, whatever opportunity there is in that season, seize it. If it's a serving season, seize it. Because you'll never get the heart of a servant if that's the season you're in. If it's a season where you're going to have to learn to die to the flesh, then die. Don't linger. Nothing worse than a slow spiritual death. Why don't you just let God kill you and get it over with? Seize your season. The farmer may not be making money in a sowing season, but he knows that he has to seize his seed time. If he just sits there and just decides he's going to sit on his blessed assurance, I mean, he just and doesn't plant, then nothing's going to happen down the road. Even though it's a sowing season, he's got to he's got to seize it. Some of you listen to me. God has a great harvest for you, but you're in a sowing season and you're not sowing. You're waiting for your harvest, but what have you sowed? You say, well, it seems like I've been sowing a long time. I'm sorry your sowing season is long. God sets the season. Must mean your harvest is going to be a humdinger. See, we want to sow. You know, we want to sow when we should be harvesting. We want to harvest when we should be sowing. And we've got to seize what the season is about. If God is removing things from your life, then embrace that. Don't just automatically assume, oh, it must be the devil. No, maybe, maybe, he's, maybe he's trimming you down because he's trying to cause you to be lean, mean, spiritual machine. Who knows? Let him take what he wants. Praise God. He can, he can get it back 7, 8, 20, 100, 30, 60, 100 full times. It's a season to shut your mouth, shut up. If it's a season to open your mouth, then open it. If he's calling you to war, war. Show up at the front lines. If it's a season of rest and peace, then be at rest and peace. Seasons will change. But you've got to be in the hunt in the season that you're in. There are people who are called to great purposes, but are in a serving season and they don't want to do anything because they're just waiting on God. Well, I believe in waiting on God, but even the Hebrew will bear this out that waiting on God doesn't mean you're just, you know, you're a couch potato. Waiting on God means that with anticipation, you're participating in what's going on as you're waiting on him to maybe open the door. Listen, God. God always uses, I found this to be true, God always uses and chooses the busiest people. Have you ever noticed that? You know why that is? It's because they're active in the season. And he says they're working the season, and it's time for the seasons to change. And then finally, this is the one you wanted to hear about. Faithfulness and humility will change your season. Come on now, write that down. You want to know how to get out of the season you're in right now? I'm, I'm, I'm giving you your key right now. Faithfulness and humility will change your season. I have been asked, is there anything I can do 
to change the season I'm in? Is this just a set amount of time that I've just got to endure? The answer is yes and no. Yes and no. No in the sense that God has some idea as to what you need and what it will take to get it worked into your life. I mean, he knows you better than anybody. And so I believe there probably is in his heart a determining amount of time as to what he sees for you on, let's say, the potter's wheel so that he's got to work that fashioning out so that he can send you on to the next thing. Some of you would say, yeah, 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 I'm on the potter's wheel. I can't wait to get off the potter's wheel. Well, when you get off the potter's wheel, you know where you go? Ah, yeah. Oh, I'll stay on the potter's wheel a while longer. Amen. Say, understand seasons. Now, the truth of the matter is, yes, you can, though, affect your seasonal change. You can change it in the sense that God wants to see two important things in your life. I believe in every season. I believe it works this way in every season. Faithfulness and humility. I believe these are two key components. And, and I can show you out of the scripture, Galatians 6, 9, posted, guys. It says, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season... We shall reap if we do not lose heart. What he's saying there is basically be faithful. Don't grow weary of doing good. I realize you've worked hard. You're, you're, you're doing everything you know to do. You, you're, you're applying precept. You're wanting things to change. Hey, listen, do not grow weary while doing good. You will reap in due season. But the key is you can't. You can't throw in the towel. You've got to keep being faithful. 1 Peter 5, 6 is a good one. It says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why? That he may exalt you in due time or due season. In other words, when humility is exercised to where God sees it, he's able to move. And he says, I can change the season. Now, you've humbled yourself. You've been made low. But now I can change the season and lift you up. And cause your destiny and your purpose to come to pass. I put a key statement down. Flash it. The need for humility is easy to see in others. But rarely seen in ourselves. I put that up there because whenever I hear uh, you know, humility being taught. And you'll hear people say amen, amen. And we all know humility is important. But I always find it fascinating that, that when it comes to the humility detectors. We can always find where other people need humility. But I'll just share this and we'll just get it out there on the table. Everyone in the room this morning needs to humble themselves. You say, I thought I had. Well, about the time you think you've gone low, you can go a little lower. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. I believe it's the single greatest reason people are stuck where they're at. Is because of their refusal to enter into true humility. Now, I'm going to share this and then I'm done. Romans 8.18 you need to get your pen out if you have your Bible and underline this. And, and I'm, I'm coming in for the landing. Romans 8.18. Is there anyone in here that can say, I have, never had, I have never had a season or I've never had a moment of suffering? Is there anyone here that says, I've never suffered in what I consider suffering in my whole life? See, that's 100%. Everybody understands suffering, right? We all have moments. Maybe some of you are having moments even now as I'm talking. Suffering seasons. In Romans 8.18. It's a really cool verse. You need to underline it, type it out, post it on your bathroom mirror, refrigerator. This is one of those ones that I just constantly have to look back to. It says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time or this present season are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I don't know what may be going on in your life, but what that verse says to you is this. That no matter how deep of a suffering or how deep of a, of a, a, a challenge or adversity you may be facing at this particular moment, if that's your season... This is what God's saying. He's saying that whatever it is that's going on in your life, that, it, that if you'll allow God to work, whatever it is he's doing, and I would not presume to know everything that he may or may not be doing, but if you would allow God to do his work in your life, even in an adverse season, this is what that verse says, that there will be a moment that you will walk out and that what God does in your life 
will be so over the top, exponentially great. It will be so awesome, so, so impactful, so mind-boggling. This is what he says. He says that whatever it is you are facing now will pale in comparison to what it is you'll be experiencing in the goodness of God. I, I, I have only really seen one time where I have begun to understand what that may mean. I have watched, I've watched my wife uh, go through uh, several pregnancies with my children. And um, again, this is a club, guys, we're never going to join. All right, we'll never join this club. Yeah, praise God. I don't know that I, after I've watched it, I'm not sure I would have volunteered for it either. But I've watched my wife go through her pregnancies. And you know, it's interesting, and this is just from a, from a, from a dumb guy analyzing and observing what he sees. Women go through these, these, these phases. They go through morning sickness. They go through hormon, hormonal shifts. They, they stretch, they have cravings, swelling. I tell you, if you've never, if you've never slept with a pregnant woman, you've not had all the experiences life would have for you. There's general discomfort in their, 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 their sitting and their sleeping the day comes when birth is imminent and there's contractions with ever-increasing force. Physical birth is painful. At least the screams that I heard led me to believe that it was painful. I mean, I mean, there's some suffering, ladies. Isn't it true? I mean, to be pregnant, it may be your heart's desire, but is it not true? There's some suffering that goes along with that. It's... But when that baby comes out, something starts to change. From that moment, I'm not saying instantly, but from that moment, the sufferings of that season start fading. Not instantly, maybe, but, but they begin to fade until finally, I found this, maybe not every woman, but I found this to be true, at least the one I'm married to. Finally, there comes a moment that the woman remembers, yes, there was pain involved, but the pain is eclipsed by the joy of what it is they're holding in their arms. That's the closest picture that I've ever seen as to what's being said, I think, in Romans 8.18. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm like every other human being. I have experienced incredibly difficult, hard, suffering seasons. And I have enough mileage now in my life serving God that I can look back and I can tell you without a doubt, I, I, it wasn't the devil. It, it wasn't the devil. It was some seasonal things that God needed to do and needed to use to groom some things in me and put everything in order. And when everything is in order, that's the moment in the fullness of time Doors begin to open. And here's the good news. Because of the mileage I have under my belt now, I have experienced enough manifestations of God's promises to say this to you. That season of suffering cannot be compared to the one that he's brought me into. There were some tough days that I could go back and tell you, just like you ladies could tell me about all the intricacies of your pregnancies I could go back and tell you some tough moments in my life. Maybe not compared to a pregnancy, but for, a, for a, just a sniveling guy, it was, it was significant. It was hard. But I can tell you this, that, that there's enough mileage under my belt now that when I moved into another season, that suddenly what seemed so hard and seemed so painful, seemed so challenging and seemed so adverse, suddenly paled in comparison to the glory which began to be revealed inside of us. God so wants to say now in your life. I want you to hear me. I'm going I'm to end with where I started. There is a moment God says now. This is your time. This is your moment. 
But here's the reason maybe you haven't heard now. It's because the season you're in, He's working things in you and He's working things around you to bring you to that now moment. You hang on, okay? You don't throw in the towel. You don't shrink back. You don't give up. You don't get mad at God. Don't get mad at people. Don't get mad at me. Because there's glory that's yet to be revealed coming out of your life. Amen? Stand with me, will you?